All right, guys, well, we're going we're gonna to talk about the love of Jesus. That's when everybody cheers. Yeah, yeah woo! <laughs> All right, so um, go ahead and open your Bibles up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 14. is where we're going to get started today. We're going to be talking about how much Jesus loves you this morning. That's a good, good topic, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 is where we're going to start. Then we're going to go to Romans after that. So let's, let's pray as a family, as a church, and let's ask yeah, the Lord to come and meet with us. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you that you love us, uh, but Lord, we have no idea how much you love us. We don't really know how you love us, and we don't... Um, our brains can't even contain it. Our hearts are too small. Your love is beyond anything that we could ever figure out or literally understand. But God, your love is real. And so we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come to us right now, that you would show us in a supernatural way the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of your love, that you would show us that no matter who we are, what we have done, that your love for us is consistent and not dependent on how much we fail or succeed, but your love is perfectly um, perfect. And Jesus, we, we can't understand that on our own, so we ask you to reveal it to us. Amen. Amen. So do you know why toy makers, um, toy makers, anyone think of a toy maker company? What's a? Mattel. Hasbro, Lego, whatever. Do you know that they all have people that watch the divorce rates in America? Do you know why? Yes. Because when people go through a divorce, you have two parents and four grandparents all vying for the love of the children that are involved in this divorce. They, they, they buy them, you know, you know, Daddy's little princess Barbie, you know, the dad's family does. And then the mom, you know, buys them a bigger Barbie. Or, you know, there's just this competition. They're always trying to see who can buy the affections of the children. And toy makers obviously love that because they're greedy, dirty, rotten, scum, scoundrels. Is that what you said? I like that word. I haven't said scoundrels in a long time. I, I like that word. Well, today we are simply going to learn that God is just as jealous for your affections and for you to know that he loves you. He truly just loves you. And he has given you the greatest gift um, to show and to prove to you that he loves you. So let's just read our, our text here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, we'll start. For the love of Christ compels us. That means it motivates us. It moves us. The love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So in this verse, these couple verses, 
it says that his love motivates us. And what shows his love? That he died for you. His death for you. Anyone ever feel depressed or down or like they don't have any value? If you, no, never? Man, way to go. (laughs) Just kidding. If you have ever felt or questioned whether God loves you, he says, all you have to do is look at the cross. And the cross proves to you that God not only just loves you a little bit, but he loves you so much that he would give his own son as a substitute and a sacrifice for you. That is just the most amazing thing, that God would sacrifice himself, give his own life for us. And so what we can take from that is that when you're feeling unloved, that feeling is lying to you. Did you know feelings lie? Feelings are not always true, but we think that they're always true. I feel awful. What am I going to do? Just ignore it. This is not true. You are not unloved. You are not unvaluable. You are very, very cherished by God. But Satan, that doesn't stop him. The truth never stops him. So he, in his lies, he comes and he plants seeds that say, you are not really loved and God has forgotten about you. Or God is mean. And he's so far away, he'll never hear you. Or he'll never be proactive to get involved in your life and answer your prayers. And those are all lies. But he uses, he manipulates our feelings. And that's so sneaky of him. Because feelings can be really, really powerful, can't they? They can just, they can really ruin our day. But Jesus says here, or Paul says, the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ moves us. The love of Christ transforms us. When you decide to ignore the way that you feel and instead set your mind and your heart on the cross, on what Jesus did for you, it will move you and it will get you out of that funk that you were in. It always works. His love compels us. Now, what does his love show? It says here again, let's just read that again. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, or we understand this. It says that if one died for all, then all died. So his death on the cross was for everybody. Okay? Now, what does that mean? It means that he died your death that you were supposed to die. And then he was raised from the dead so that you could have a new life. We deserve death, right? Our natural man deserves to die. That's the only way that our, our life can be fixed is if our old man dies. But Jesus says, I've done that for you. I died in your place. So yes, we still need to die, but we don't have to literally go up and climb up on a cross anymore because Jesus did it for us. And we were inside of him by faith. When he was nailed on the cross, you were inside him by faith. That is really amazing. 
He, His love, accomplished that. Said, you don't have to die the death you're supposed to die. I will do it for you. And that's the definition of godly love. And so what does it say here? It says, verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and then rose again. So his love transforms the way that we live our lives. Because he died for us and our sins are washed away, he says now, all you have to do is live for him. You get to live for him. You don't have to do the dying. You get to do the living. He did the dying for you so that you can live for him. So what we, the last thing I'll say about this verse is that what happened to Jesus has also happened to you. When you become a Christian, you are now in Christ. And so anytime you sin, what does that sin deserve? Death and punishment. But the great thing is as a Christian, that has already happened for you. It happened for you on the cross. So when you sin, what do you get to do? Praise Jesus for what he did on the cross for you. Praise him. Oh, I just sinned. I'm so sorry for that. I shouldn't have sinned. It deserves punishment. But Jesus, you took that for me. You did it for me. So when we sin, we praise Jesus. And then let's say that you didn't sin, but your eyes were on the Lord and you followed through and you, you, you glorified God. Then what do you get to do then? Praise Jesus. So as a Christian, all we, whether we fail or whether we succeed, our eyes are on Jesus and we just get to glorify him. It's that simple. What happened to him happened to you. Jesus not only died on the cross, but what else happened? He rose from the dead. He received a new life as a free gift from his father. The father raised him to life. Did Jesus have to work for that? What did he do? He laid in a tomb. Same thing happens for you. When you say, Lord, I'm done. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to believe in your promises, just like Jesus did. In him, God raises you up to new life. And is Jesus afraid of anything after he rises from the dead? He can't die again, right? He actually ascends and is seated at the right hand of the Father and gets anything that he asks for. And that's the life that is now promised to us. And all of this stuff that Jesus did, all of his good works and all of this gifts that he gives you is because of his love. He is motivated to bless you and to help you because he truly loves you. Not because it's just the right thing to do, but because his heart truly loves you. So we're going to look at one verse in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. 6 through 8. We're actually almost done. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8 says, and in these verses, I want you to, to see humility. Okay? Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time or at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is the only qualification that verse gives for you to be loved by God? Be ungodly. Anyone in here ungodly? Yes. That's us. We are sinners. We are ungodly. And that is now the qualification we have to say, well, then God loves me. He truly does love us. It is not our worth. It is not our performance that earns his love. His love is in spite of how terrible you are. He loves you in all your dirtiness. He loves you just as much when you're trying your best as when you are literally running away from him and spitting in his face. Those things do not make a difference to his love. His love, he gave his life for us while we were still disobeying, while we hated him, while we were still enemies with him. This verse is not about you being worth it to God. There's, if, you, if you get involved in man-centered psychology, they're constantly trying to build up your self-worth. And it is a, a lie from Satan. Please listen. The gospel says you don't have to have self-worth because Jesus gives you your worth for free. His love is what defines how valuable you are. He says, I would give my life for you even if you never accept me. Even if you never serve me. Even if you never do anything right ever, I would still give my life for you because I love you. We, in this verse, we see, let's just read it again because I want you to see the bankruptcy of us, the the absolute humility that we should have. When we were still without strength, how many times do you say, I am just going to give up because I cannot do anymore. I can't go on anymore. God says, that's perfect. Great. I still love you there. When we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. When you were ungodly, when you were without strength. These are definitions of humility. Humility says, God, I am not strong enough to do this on my own. Humility says, God, I am not godly. I just don't have that. I'm wrong. I'm evil. But you love me. That's faith. Humility says, I'm not worth it. I see myself as ungodly. I see myself as a sinner. That is, a, that is humility. I see myself in those ways. But God, when I see myself that way, God comes and transforms me by his love. And he's, he does it so perfectly. Let's look at the next page, which is Romans 8.35. Romans 8.35 says, through 38, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And these verses are about faith. So our first section was about humility and how we don't have to earn it. We can't earn it. It's not our worth that determines whether God loves you. And here we're going to see faith that nothing can separate us from his love. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That nothing can separate you from his love? It is secure. And the only requirement it has to be secure is faith. In other words, are you just going to believe that he loves you this much? Are you going to believe? It's not our performance, it says, that, that this is based on. He's not worried about how well you do at reading your Bible or even anything. It's not your performance. It's not the kind of troubles you're going through. It's not your lack of, of possessions or how poor you are or how rich you are. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all these things, in these things, God's love is revealed to us. When we are going through these things, all the trials of life, and when we fail and we really screw up, God's love will pick us up and will carry us through because it said one word here, you are not separated. Separated. That's the last word that we're going to think about today. Everything in our life, it seems like, is trying to separate you from his love. When you go through something difficult, let's say you really mess up. The enemy comes and he says, you shouldn't, God doesn't love you right now. You, need, you and God need a cooling off period because he's angry and lightning bolts are coming for your head right now. That's what the enemy says. Or, Let's say you hurt someone close to you. The enemy says, look how terrible you are. God is so disappointed because you were not loving. You didn't show them the love of Christ. So the enemy says, you, you should, there should be separation. And God is angry with you. And the only thing we can do in those moments is have this really crazy, simple faith that God still loves me even though I'm terrible. He loves me even though I'm an idiot. He loves me even though I'm selfish. But he's calling me away from that selfish lifestyle. You remember the first verse we read said that they should not live for themselves, but for him who loves them. So this is a big circle that we go through. His love forgives us. We screw up. His love forgives us again. We mess up, his love forgives us again. And then his love plants a seed in our hearts that says, hey, why don't you stop living for self and instead start living for my love. Start thinking about my love first instead of yourself first. 
And this is the process of growth that we go through. And God, in his infinite patience, doesn't give up on us when we screw up 50 times a day for 50 years. He keeps on teaching us one thing. I love you. When are you going to get it through your thick skull? That I love you. When are you going to believe that I love you? When will you understand that I love you? What does it take to to get this? God wants to reveal it to you. And if you feel in your heart, Lord, I want to know this heart, this, this love more than I do, the only thing to do is to pray and ask him and say, God, show me how much you love me. Ask him for a revelation. Do you think God will ignore a prayer that is asking for someone's like, God, I want to know how much you love me. And God will answer that prayer. And you can even pray for other people. God, show them how much you love them. Because they need to know it too. This is it, guys. This is as simple as it can get. God's love is shown to us in Christ, and that motivates us to turn our back on self and instead serve him who loves us. I never want anyone to serve in our church because they feel like they have to. I want to hear one thing. Jesus loves me so much. That's the only reason why I want to serve. It's because Jesus loves me. And if I come check on you, how are you doing in serving? You're like, ah, oh, Jesus loves me. That's it. That's right where we want to be, where we want to stay. So that's it. Do you guys believe Jesus loves you? Yeah. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> so let's sing a couple more songs. Respond to his love with worship, with praise, with surrendering our lives. Um, giving him... You know, is it hard for a, a husband to give his wife everything he owns? To say, everything I have belongs to you? It's not really difficult because there's that one ingredient of love. You guys can all stand up with me. When, when a husband and wife love each other, it's like, ah, everything I have belongs to you. So as Jesus is showing you how much he loves you, just know, our whole life, Lord, belongs to you. You know, lift lift up those hands with freedom saying, all my life belongs to you. I receive your love and I respond back in love to you. Jesus, we have so much uh, of our self that that gets in the way. And we have so many lies that the enemy is trying to distract us with about how uh, we need to try to earn your love through our performance or how um, you are angry with us when we fail. And God, those are not truth. Your word says that our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west and that it is done on the cross. And so if we fix our eyes on the cross, we will not experience the separation that happens when we sin. That should happen when we sin. But Lord, that sin is cast away. That sin is paid for. It's dealt with on the cross. And we believe, Jesus, that you have done this for us. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that we would be able to respond to your love by loving our neighbors as ourselves, by um, surrendering and giving everything up for you. 
by, by boldly proclaiming your gospel to anybody that you put in our path. Lord, I pray that we would never live by the flesh, that we would never let the flesh um, do our thinking for us or make our decisions for us. I pray that we would see every single person as, as someone that you love and someone that needs to hear about your love. Lord, I pray that your love would compel us, that it would move us to be bold. And Lord, I don't know what to say when I, go, when I need to share your gospel all the time, but Lord, I pray that I would at least be able to tell them, Jesus, how much you love them. And help me to actually pray that you would reveal that to them as well. Lord, we want to we wanna serve you by sharing your love, by, by enjoying your love. God, I pray that every single kid that was in here today would, would know that Jesus loves me, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus is full of love. And I pray that every adult in here would lay down their lives consistently because he loves them. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to worship. Amen.